0: Hi. Today, this episode is a sum up of all the previous other episodes where we had talked about the research and then the pillars of a studio practice. So reading, writing, making, and talking about work. This is quite a long episode. It's about two hours long, and it was recorded during a roundtable discussion um, in Hong Kong during Art Basel, Hong Kong, March 2018. This is a conversation with a series of industry professionals and students. And so there's quite a large spectrum of opinions and views of what the creative industry is like based in Hong Kong, but everyone's background is actually from abroad. It just so happens that everyone is working in Hong Kong and everyone works within the creative industry. There is a central theme within the conversation, and basically it's about the future of the creative industry and creative education. Uh, This actually marks the midpoint of my PhD, And it sort of was a really good way for me to go engage how far my research was applicable within the industry and how other people felt towards my topic. So essentially, I'm doing my PhD and it's on loosely creative entrepreneurship. So this talk is very loosely... Going to be about the future of the creative industry, um, and hence why everyone is here because we're all affiliated in the arts and cultural sector in one way or another. So this is a little bit of a bio of what of what it is that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Hi, <laughs> this is me, the creative who is trying very hard to get into the art and cultural industry. But why is it that I'm at the bottom and you're trying to get into this industry, which is so, so, so far away? And what does it mean to be in the art and cultural industry? And what what actually is the art and cultural industry? Because I'm not really sure. So I drew an ecosystem. So that's essentially what it is. There's output and there's input and that is my PhD. Um, So this is the section, which is sort of like the monetary aspect of it. So you've got the two large lumps, which is the government funding. And then you've got what um, is coined the term as the cultural creative industry. And then underneath that you've got like the money aspects of it and how it's funded and the streams that creatives actually go into getting funded. And so the yellow is the money aspect of it. But what is the creative cultural industry? And this is the full list of it, which is this, um, there's about 15 of them which is coined by the UK um DCMS which is the digital cultural media and sports sector uh whatever department and so at the very bottom that's where i exist within the visual arts and the cultural education sector
1: I sports. Yeah, yeah i
0: don't know why they want sports in there so what do i bring to the table well according to my phd my brain which is my currency which is the output which is time money and skill which is what i can offer when i go and make or when i teach and i sell it back selling loosely sort of commodifying the aspects of my output back into the cultural and art industry but you see how far it is But. That the system that I've created that essentially talks about um, how it's so one-sided, like nothing is actually integrated and everything sort of is this great hierarchy and how is it possible for the creative actually to exist in the middle. So it's more so that it's not this hierarchy, but it's a, an actual ecosystem where everything works with each other and not working in this top heavy, top-down method, which is what it is right now. So that's essentially what my research is. I'm researching the democratization of the creative experience for both the creative and consumer who are interested in creative consumption. In a (laughs) nutshell, potentially. My supervisor might not be very happy with my using those words. So, what we're going to talk about tonight with these very kind people are these. Uh, What are the new trajectories and the new platforms and job sharing and innovation um, at the way we look and barter for creative services? How are we looking at commodifying creative disciplines? and What avenues are we looking at to promote education awareness and integrate a new form of commercialism? commercialism into so what is creative industry so how
1: do you want to start this we'll
2: get to say it. Hmm. get everyone to sort of have a bit of a an introduction sure do is yeah. that what you want sure, to do yeah. yeah yeah okay so who wants to start <laughs> simon sure um so i'm simon i'm an architect uh with uh, Hadid, and um well of course we've done we do work in in sort of various fields <laughs> not just buildings as well, but there's also that sort of aspect in the ongoing research as well. We are very sort of um, integral with the industry, not just from the sort of the, the, the practic- practicing perspective, but also in the sort of, let's say, the, the research. Uh, we also believe that, you know, teaching is, you know, you can learn as much, if not more, through teaching uh, we we try to participate in a lot of these activities if we can. Um, now, I think the sort of let's say broadly speaking, so what, what Erica was um, trying to summarise with the that whole issue at the moment, and let's say I think with with education, because you know, I think in almost in that sort of nutshell uh, description was the sort of let's say the. The, the words were the words that maybe that's might stood out were um, democratization and let's say and commercialism, the sort of commerce aspect of it. Now that usually comes in sort of conflict, as I see, you know, in a way because you're often, let's say, compromised, being commercial, or, you know, the sort of creative freedom. Um, now, I think the, the, the three questions here, um, as maybe tricky to sort of maybe dissect it, I think the first one, I'm gonna try, I'll try and see maybe go through maybe the three.
3: <laughs> the three of them.
2: The three of them, as I understand. And please elaborate uh, or, 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 or contribute if anyone has anything to sort of add. Um, now, I think the trajectories and platforms um, in terms of, let's say, bar strength for creative services. I think now we are at an interesting age in our life, I think, where, where most commerce or even services... You no know, not just so sort of products but also in services uh, can be done online. We're talking about not just let's say you know w- of course from we all know we can order our shopping and groceries online, and that's the sort of, you know, that's the sort of thing we might be more, more familiar with, but those of course we're all creatives here, so we all know i mean the sort of let's say the they're the really i mean there isn't probably. That much out there? It I mean, is there? I mean, right. let's say, besides, let's say, let's say platforms, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm right, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. In, in terms of what's available, let's say, if as, as people in practice or people in education. So I remember, I remember an article, I think. I can't remember who it was from, but I think maybe about two, three years ago, there was some sort of guidelines from the RIBA to students applying for jobs, and um, it's a guide. So there, there's no absolute. You know, I mean, we, we, um, I think probably a lot of us could say that we're pretty lucky to 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 have I been mean, where we are. But there was probably a time that you know where. Where we probably didn't know where where the hell this was going to lead to, if it was going to lead to anything. Um, it is that sort of business. Um, architecture is one thing. Architecture is maybe. I think we talked about this mm-hmm. as well, Erica. I mean, architecture is something fairly concrete. I mean, you've got the you know, you've got the left brain, you've got the right brain, you've got the creative, you've got the sort of you know the rational side of the brain. Architecture is a very I mean, it's this creativity, but it's also aspects that are rooted in textbook facts, and we work with professionals like engineers and building services. Oh. Hello. Oh, yes. <laughs> Should we on pause?
3: No. Nothing. Okay.
2: Right. So let's see. Um, now, what I do is not art. It it, it can be it can be art. But it's what we probably would be more strictly associated as the applied arts. And it's probably you know, with product designs, fashion, you know, this is like the applied arts. Hey, hi. Hi, Molina. <laughs> uh, do you want to sit on the sofa or do you to have to Yeah. Yeah? Can
1: I eat some
2: water or just apply? Or
4: water is okay? Yeah? Hello.
2: Sorry, Yeah. Um, so yeah, architecture is probably more akin to the applied arts than art. It's, art is another thing. Art is probably more, even more so, challenging. And I think i thought about this as well, which is another aspect I'd like to probably get to a bit later, because I was thinking, yeah, that that aspect might lead to the second part of the question.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: But let's go going back to the first. Um, so the guidelines, you know, the RIBA guidelines. So, those doing you know, architecture, of course, you know, an architecture is closely linked with the construction industry. And uh, whenever there's a recession, you know, whenever the recession hits, the construction industry is one of the ones that is usually hit first. And um, when it's when you're going through a slump, uh, I remember, I think, in the '90s when. I was looking for a year out job, nobody found a job, I had a lot of friends who dropped out because they couldn't find a year out job. It was an awakening that this was, you know, I already invested three years of this, I'm not investing another two more because this is the the kind of racket I'm going to get into. So and if they didn't think about it, their parents most probably sort of pushed them to, to rethink their decisions as well. and. Um, I, I think my, 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 my mentioning about architecture being tied to the sort of rational aspect of things is um, that's probably let's say more let's say uh, a more real and more let's say uh, 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 rooted to rooted to let's say rooted to um, a need you know, because there is also you know because art. Um, especially something like Hong Kong Or creativity in you know, Hong Kong It's a very, very tough place to move forward in. I mean, it is, it is a tough thing
0: There are a lot of nods here
2: So I think this is, this is interesting Now I, I'm talking more than I should I think the thing about the RIBA Don't nod The thing about the RIBA was Facebook Like, you know, if you're looking for a job Publish it Make sure you have a profile in LinkedIn, build up your CV, your portfolio is more important than anything else and, you know, you sell yourself with your skills and you've got to be out there and you've got to, and don't be, don't be disappointed if you get, you know, if you get, if 90, like 90% of your, of your uh, applications are rejections, I think a lot of us have probably been through that, I went through that. So platforms and trajectories what's out there Um I don't think there's much I don't think there is that much out there I don't think there is unless somebody thinks there is um maybe what was the other I mean LinkedIn is one I can think of but that's I don't see anything sort of using that, that. Right. Um, now, because I want to get into the sort of second part of it, because the second part is probably, well, let's, let's it's yeah, closely just, tied yeah, to the first, first one. It might be really interesting, interesting
1: yeah. actually. Do you? I'm, I'm just wondering, do we want to commodify creative disciplines? I mean, if, if what we do becomes commodified, is that, I don't know if that's a good thing. Does anyone? have an opinion on that i think if if, it, if what we do becomes a commodity it's just something that can be replaced with something that's hmm. like a product that doesn't actually have i think when you know the us creative people what we do is we put some of us into what we do and it's it's not something that can be replicated so i guess maybe it's just a terminology maybe i'm misunderstanding mm-hmm. the question but maybe do we actually even want to be commodifying I... creativity
2: Throwing that out there, <laughs> I I kind of had a sort of sort of um, my question. Well, yeah, my answer to the question is probably with the question: Can, can you actually commodify creativity? Yeah, right. I mean? you, okay. like you come
6: from an architectural background? I think some of us who are designers or mm. architects who work for that, I mean, we get paid for service. Of course, it's a creative service, but it's a very black and white service. Mm. There's a contract there to say we have to deliver something. There's a brief, it's not like you can have an idea and do whatever you want, and then let's see what happens at the end. There is there's actually a stage, sure. it's very much contracted. We have different stages that we have to meet, we have to deliver, so that both sides are protected to a certain degree. So, in a way, I think that is almost it is a module that we do, mm. but whereas I think what And you start to move, but I think things that are being commodified that we haven't seen, which don't exist, because I think architecture design; those are professions that have had kind of a very long history. But things that are like, I'm sorry, I know that you're saying you're a stylist, but things like that, which actually are now becoming a commodity, just by having a blog. And I'm not saying that's just like that is actually becoming very much more. Jj, you know, from your blogging. That can be, and you're blogging as well, Susie, but that can become a commodity. And I think that's something we haven't seen before. Um, and very much because of the digital age, because of the whole smartphone, because I think things like Instagram, like uh, people can create their own websites, they can really kind of sell themselves easily. And I think by selling a photo that you take, let's say at a fashion show, you actually sell your service or you, you, you can sell yourself. And in that sense, you almost can create yeah, a commodity yourself. You sort of mentioned without.
1: something about the democratization of mm. design before, so maybe that's kind of,
6: like yeah. It's kind of bringing it back to kind of being, you are neutral. I do think it's difficult. I mean, I think maybe in the sense of what, what how fine arts, because mm. I don't think there is, like, I, I, there are rules for, for fine arts, but there isn't rules. Yeah. You don't get this contract, you don't get, you have to do a concept stage, a SD stage, a D stage, a you know, you don't have sure. you don't have a program where you're saying, Okay, we, I mean you do, but you know, we have kind of a, a check in, and, and plus minus so that both sides are protected, like the client and the designer. And to a degree where at one point either of us can say, No, you know, I, I to stop or this isn't benefiting me you in, in in any like as a commodity or as the a monetary sense. or in, in some kind of sense you I mean, can say no we'll mm. do that mm. um, whereas I think in the fine arts you go really into the gray area like I it's for me like I know my brother is a, is a fashion photographer and I think for him it's very it's not black and white for him
4: mm-hmm. a
6: lot of things are very much in the gray and he for him to work for for a company, then that really gets like he he can't really wrap his head around that. He's like, what do I do? How do I sell as a full time job what do I do? Um, he's very much like, used to doing the freelance kind of, and he goes to who wants to use him, or who wants they like his skill set or they like the way he's taking a certain photo, so they go to him. That's how he sells. And I think for him, it's not as. Uh, like, he kind of he equates it to as easy best for me, because for I think for me I can I can go and get a job at a firm, yeah. or I can go and try to you know yeah. start my own firm. But I I have a kind of more set way, and he's kind of more it's a bit looser. Yeah, because he's more my mm. arts than I am.
1: I guess that's the buyer. difference between art and design, though, right? Mm-hmm. Is that design I guess at the end of the day is
0: it's an applied. It's kind of
1: a product. It has a function. It's not just. But it is
0: skill-based at the end of the day, though. Absolutely. And I think it's, that's the difference, is sometimes the skills, as an artist, they aren't recognized. And because it's not recognized, I think it's very easy for, as my supervisor says, he needs to spread his risks. Because um, you don't know what your return is. And I find that to be very interesting because I've never considered myself to be a risk having studied fine art. I'm sure my parents would feel very differently but as a person who did study fine art who makes installations in public space I just think well that's my medium that's what I do. Um, But to kind of have that turn around and go and say well you are a risk and you don't have job security Um, So what are you going to go and do about that? Like, how are you going to be able to go and find some way to navigate within this pool that is very uncertain? Um, And I think that's sort of a lot of, like, what the questions sort of circle around. It's like, is there a new way to go and look at this? Is there a different way to go and have a different type of job security despite the fact that you are a risk? What what are risks? Are we risks?
1: Do you think it's partly because maybe... Describing what you do, like Leslie was saying, the difference between you and your brother, it, in some ways, for you, for you, and say Marcy and maybe JJ and Simon to describe mm. what you do, and and for me as well, you can kind of wrap a nice little package around it, I suppose, which is maybe yeah that it, it does become a commodity. But what you do, and maybe what your brother does, it's not that easy to no. define, I suppose, and maybe that's the difference. Mm between there being a perceived risk as opposed to, we know what we're getting yeah. with a hotel designer I or...
6: Yeah. Like, I think my parents were very happy that I chose design. Because they're like, you can just jump. <laughs> Whereas when my brother decided to be a photographer, they're like, what are you going to do? You know, And it took a lot of convincing, I think, and for my brother to, to get his master's. and so Because then in their head, well, but then we you could teach. teach. Yes. Yes. Mm, so it's, sure. it, it, it's and I, I think it's more of a perception of other people. But you know, it is that whole package of, well, how do you get funds for what you mm. do? How do I get paid for what I think? Mm. If I don't have a product, if I don't show you. Something?
1: Did you face those challenges as well, Daniel? Did you, I presume you studied fashion design?
5: No, I okay. studied business. Oh wow, so what? <laughs> wow. Okay, oh, I used really? study business. Um, I was looking at fashion schools and I just said, well i was going to do a business degree first, because a business degree is very general. Yeah. I can study principles and I can apply it to anything. Yeah. Um, but I did do a minor in English literature, okay. and that's how I got uh, firstly uh, to do fashion writing, and you know, writing, doing a copywriting work, and then from there I to um, you know doing style. You know, things like that. But I think in terms of how I, I mean, how to sort of convince and sell people of my work, um, I think in fashion it's less so about generally speaking it's less about you know what you came from, school, you know. Apart from the like process of saying it's like, you know, with the other schools, you know, they don't really look at that. I think it's also how hot you are as a designer. Whether uh, a lot of um, how you're priced in fashion is about how cool you are. Right. And that's such a fleeting thing, you know. It's about who you've worked with, um, it's about what type of jobs you've done. Um, I think, specifically in Hong Kong, um, and they really like it when you've worked with big brands before. Um, and not necessarily uh, the quality of your work. I think that gives people a sense of reassurance. Uh, when we're working with models, for example, you know, if you're a famous model and you've worked with many different brands before, mm. then your own personal, you know, when you're working with a client and you're telling them, oh, this model has worked with X, Y, Z, they're going to say, oh, we'd like to work with that model because she's already been, I guess, pre-approved and has yeah. worked with all these other before. Companies, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's always a sense of risk. Um, and, you know, when I started out, obviously it was very hard. Um, but you, I guess you just have to push, and you just have to. Do. Well, we do a lot of work for free at the beginning, and yeah.
1: I think we've talked about that as well. That I definitely work for free. That value them. within the creative community that was so <laughs> much more willing or forced. <laughs> To work for free, just to kind of get a foot in the door, yes. unlike so many other industries. And yeah, I mean, it's something that really pisses me off. <laughs> I've met, back when I was still designing, I would meet people that were architects and, oh sorry, uh, accountants and say, oh, well, you know, I have bought pillows for friends or whatever. I've always wanted to be a designer. I could do that. And I've always wanted to just say, well, I did my own tax return this year. Does that make <laughs> me an accountant? <laughs> an accountant? Like, there,
6: you can't.
1: Anyway, I just, yeah, I think it's, it's such a thing that that's kind of what is almost expected or assumed when you're a creative person, that you just have to give away something of that for free just to get a break, but...
2: It's not good. It's not good practice to no, work it's for not. free either. And I think
1: that's kind of partly you know Because
2: that it also encourages people to expect.
1: Well that's the other thing is that the people paying for our services know that yeah. if you get someone new and young that's kinda of desperate for a break, that you don't yeah. have to pay them and that doesn't happen in any other industry, whether it's fashion or interiors or art or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a creative thing. People so just assume so, that
2: it's and you know, and lawyers and lawyers charge you for the during in the you know, duration of the call every six minutes. You know, on God. their based on their based on their time on their call, you know, on their call, on the call recorded. So never ask how the kids are doing or how yeah. are you when you have it when you're on a call with a lawyer. Or if
1: you have someone wasting your time with a legal suit, you just email their lawyers because when they read them, yeah. you you cost that's that it. other person money. But that's just a little tip. <laughs> anyway. Um, I digress.
0: But But I think... Sorry. Then that's the question. I mean, like, how do you change or have that conversation when, you know... It's almost like we're lemmings. So you've got someone in front of you, you've got someone behind you, and everyone's sort of doing the same thing. It's exactly what you're saying. If you have to do things for free, and I know I've worked for free for years... um, is, is it possible to actually even do it differently? What What is out there that allows for you? Because don't you have to, quote unquote, in the industry, so to speak, work your way so you have some sort of, quote unquote, value or people know who you are. Um, and then you can start charging. Like, how do you go and change
2: what do you do? that? I- I think you do. I think the my my question with a question earlier, you know, like uh, how do we look into commodifying creativity? I think, you know, like my my question was can we got to ask ourselves can you now? Um, it's a rhetorical question as well because I kind of think I know uh, bits of the answer. Um, the contributions on the sort of the the difference between the applied arts that makes it that contains it. Mm-hmm. The contract is one thing. This is exactly why. So before I I opened my studio two years ago, mm-hmm.
7: I was working in firms for a decade. This is why I think one of the most important things I want to tell millen- millennials or young young ones or young designers is that. Sure, you can go to school and get out of school right away and attempt to start your own thing, but it is so very important to maybe earn money on uh, working for someone else as an, um, as an intern or an apprentice for quite a while because you will be paid, hopefully you'll be paid getting, while well, getting skill sets off of some some other entity yeah right because absolutely part of the part of commodity or the concept of commodity is about putting a product out there that people will appreciate enough to pay for because if there's something that i understand about why people pay for things is that they pay for things because a either they just want it or B, it's because they need it. And they pay for things because they need it to be done. And and actually the most valuable thing we all know that we have is our time. And if we have enough resources to be able to spend money to pay for someone else to do that job, so we can do something more important, then that is the most important thing. As a designer, and as someone who contracts sub-designers out to help me do my job, I've been both the client and the consultant. Um, But in that case, if you are putting a commodity out there on the table, then it's probably because you've gone to a certain stage where you're an expert at it, where you feel good enough to be an expert about putting this product out. You're not going to put a product out while it's not done with R&D. When it's done with R&D, you're comfortable enough to put it on the shelf in a retail store and sell it. Well, R&D is apprenticeship and internship, right? You have to convince yourself first that you are an expert at what you do. You're You're great at what you do because totally there is enough money in the world and um, canvases in the world and spaces in the world for your work to be done and to be placed on display. I'm pretty sure of that. Um, About uh, democratization, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think social media as a platform. I, I have definitely sourced Instagram and people with Instagram accounts to complete one job. And clients now ask for Instagram handles to see their portfolio and point of view. Um, now, more, some creative industries are more with it than others. I have to say, the fine arts is very slow to jump on board with democratization because yeah, we know yeah, these high, like... pollutant, yeah. high pollutant art media. Mm. It's not in their it, it, is, it is really weird that an artist cannot sell themselves.
0: Yes.
7: It yeah. has to go through a gallery system.
0: But you're also not talked to either.
7: You're also not talked to. So there is a perception issue about that. Um, we see some quote-unquote top Hong Kong artists with Instagram accounts that are basically nothing because to show, really show who you are on your Instagram is devaluing mm. the perception that a gallery has set up for you. So it's quite unfair actually. But for designers, for us who do interior design, architecture, mm. it is such um, mm. more so because of the Zaha stuff and the OMA stuff and you know David Collins and stuff, mm. work has become so visual mm. that this new media really helps us out. Right, so um, it's, 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 a, it's become kind of, the spread has it's become really episode. wide. For fine arts, it's still back here, for design arts, it's all the way over there. And fashion yeah. as well. I and mean, fashion. Would probably be the Absolutely. other end of the
1: spectrum. Yeah. yeah. I saw photographers on Instagram all the time wow. now.
2: Yeah. Well, it's basically the applied arts. It's the applied arts that has that, that, that is able to somehow make really use hard. or get 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 that it's really i mean with the apply now for some it's more it, commercial it's it's, like it's like, yeah it's it's, it's commod really cool. you know it's commodified by
3: it's ip really cool. and
6: apprenticeship mentoring and then they created people that had a oh, yeah. skill set architecture from know how far back we can go to but it's always been kind of a profession. Mm -hmm. And usually architects were then people who did everything. Painting, Mm -hmm. doctors, lawyers, architects, like, you know, and then you did still have the fine arts, and they were still kind of under a a stack, but you would have maybe one that would pop up, you know, that was like famous, but then I think it's still very much the same that way and you know, mm. the applied arts that are still under a construct where we still have kind of rules and guilds or whatever. The, instead of the guilds, we belong to our schools that we graduate right. from. Mm, you
7: know, absolutely. I also, I also really feel that the gallery system is really crippling um, new artists because they pick and choose who they want, who they who they want to, to come right. mm.
0: But it's interesting because it's almost like um, you're talking about skills and knowledge, and as an artist, you have skills and knowledge. But somehow, it's... I guess it's because it's so personal that artists don't want to share that because it's like the secret sauce. So therefore, if I reveal that, it, it's almost as if I've revealed how I make and my process and well, it's very bespoke. Creative, kind of yeah, yeah that's but, everyone. But, but it's at the same time, but it's
7: small a yeah. Well, I do have to say we have used art because I do a lot of commercial work. So mm. we have used artists mm. um, through um, through third parties or whatever, or direct artists to do bespoke work for spaces. Mm. But is that something that is acceptable to other artists and other galleries? Right, like. Mm. Um, commission work used to be something that we used to do all the time in 1700s, 1800s, whatever. But these days, everything has to be purchased through the gallery. It's really where that you commission an artist, unless they want to be seen as commercial and not something as academic.
2: Mm-hmm. Of course, it's different as well. Let's say the end service. It's just—I mean—I keep going back to let's say design being the applied arts. It's just so different. Um, the art, I mean, the, let's say you know, we've got the art fairs and the design fair, uh, it's just night and day, it's very different, you know, design fair, and there's no architectural fair, but yeah, you know, it's, it's night and day, you know, what the art fair is all about the galleries. And if I'm an entity, if I'm... It's
6: so different. It's fascinating.
2: Absolutely. I think it, it's, it's, it relies on this whole sort of aging system.
6: You, you, your particular craft is in public. Uh, art installations in the public space which then puts you in a realm of government yeah. subsidized. I mean because rarely do you have mm. a private owner who says well I want you to commission this for a piece of land unless it's their own piece of land mm. then that would be very private that's not a, a public space piece of art so you're in a very kind of like small yeah. yeah. Eric is in a weird place I am in a very yeah. Gallery yeah. place so, don't really yeah, galleries don't understand I don't know if they mm, they do go into but you know then, it, then you're in the kind of this like we went uh, we went to this uh, the whole the public art uh, oh yeah local cool. art yeah, yeah yeah like a couple uh, weeks ago so you know we were listening to her name is Charlotte sorry I can't remember the last name but she's the curator of the Brooklyn uh, Art Park that's just been mm-hmm. opened in New York and she was saying how it's it's really because it, it's it's a that's actually private and public involved. But so then she has to look at the private owners and the public, the government, about what they actually put in. And even though they kind of do their own thing, it's very successful and you know, but then so now the the park there's parts of it that can't do things because too many people are coming in. So the, the private, you know, the residences who live you nearby know, who are in very affluent neighborhoods are saying, Well they can't come. We don't want these people here. So all of a sudden you're in a public space that's not a public space. And for the artists who are displaying there then you're a private owned mm. space. You know, like, I, I think it's a very difficult it's and really as much inspiring. as it, yes, there are canvases all over the world for public space you're kind of in a very small room. It's a very, very small and it's Either like you have events like you know, in alleys that Haha.
0: Mm. And then I don't know how many. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Or you PhD. Or you teach. Yeah.
0: But it's it is a very odd niche because you do have to read about policies. You do have to understand how public space has to work in order for you to be able to create because you know, I can't tumble over when you're making things in space. Um, and then, you know, the sensitivity to space is slightly different than in a, in a gallery because mm-hmm. that's so manufactured and everything is just controlled. So sort of, it, it's very odd. And then it's sort of, where do you sit as an artist? Do you want people to see your work or not? Put yourself onto applied arts, like landscape mm. architects,
6: uh, mm. and uh, These are people who then say, no, this should be. Um, or there should be something here, and, and, and I don't know. Like maybe yeah. it is really implied arts, that then say, okay, well we need to commission something here.
1: Yeah, it's like a changing stance. Exactly. But then are there artists that go? Oh, but that's too commercial. I don't know what your thoughts yeah. are on that. It,
6: no, because at that talk, there were some artists who were like, "Well, I don't really like doing commission work because I don't like people telling me what I can and cannot mm-hmm. do."
2: So. Absolutely. Yeah.
6: But then there yeah. was another one who was like, "Look, there's restrictions everywhere. Everyone has restrictions, but how do you kind of get around? That yeah. And create. So you people, about, that's the yeah. challenge. Yeah, I mean. You know. So, and I think that's I mean even for us, for applied arts, we have tons of kind of restrictions we have to deal with. And it's
2: how to get through yeah. so that, mm. whether it be a good or not. Good so, yeah. Yeah. I suppose, yeah, but it, and the restrictions are quite finite though, you know, time, usually it's time and budget. Yeah, especially but, if
6: it's public space, then you're going to be government controlled, then taxpayers, yeah. you know, there will always be kind of.
2: Or even industrial yeah. design. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. Don't walk on Yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah. And there's the uh, yeah, there's absolutely forward. there's all these thresholds that sort of keep it, you know, like uh, this safety threshold is a big
7: okay, well, ex garden fence. If no,
2: you of course, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, it's yeah, industrial design of all sorts of um, things to go that and also the way these will be fabricated. All these limitations. Um, it could be quite clever, you know, something like things like that. That's the sort of the trade. I think that somehow, that's the bit I think I can relate to. Being, you know, you can you can com- commodify that. You know, you can commod you can contain that by timesheets, and uh, you
1: know, fine
2: art. Yeah. with IP, with the fine art, it's a real, you know, because. We're, you know if we're applying that, that, that same question can yeah. you uh, commodify creativity but uh, in fine art um, you would be you can, I feel you can only I do that with a strong, the strong emotion yeah.
3: yeah I'm, I'm with you I agree with him. It really yeah. seems I feel you can only do that with a product I you know, try to be urban designer <laughs> uh, officially during the daytime, and when I have a spare time I have a research platform always involving urban design but from the other point of view not from the desk but from the street okay. uh, and i agree i think when you're we talk, we talking about creativity and not maybe when in my case i'm selling a master plan for a developer to sell a piece of land in a more convenient and in a more remunerative way is actually a commercialization of what it could be, even creativity, in case I'm not very creative. And when they maybe design a hotel rather a beautiful building, it's something that touched in a way, uh, you know, and have, have behind strong skills and became part of a mainstream commercial, which is very useful for who is actually making business. Uh, when we're talking about art, Part of this big business of gallery which they take ownership of arts and it's not for public anymore mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah I think it's going against the nature of a cre- creative person and what is behind the formula that you have, very individual, to create a piece of art. So I don't know if it's actually very possible to find art. Uh, if we talk about platform I think it's plenty of Uh, case, even here in Hong Kong and talking about art for example street art Uh, legal and maybe not really legal and let's go for the legal one first (laughs) I know most of these guys I really like to interact with people that they care about public space community and and try to give something back to the city and not just maybe GFA for a developer Um, And I criticize myself because I have to do both. But even in my present job, I'm trying really to push on something that is going back to community. We just complete now a project that probably is gonna have one, the first case where a developer uh, doesn't surrender like 10,000 square meter of uh, footprint, which is gonna be like private or public space in a country Probably is very unique. Maybe we can talk about it later. Uh, but talking about the platform for our legal one, uh, they obtain, now it's I think the fourth edition. And when talking about Hong Kong Walls, I guess you know them, that's a very good platform, functioning very well. They obtain all of the authorization that they need from every department they have to cover because. They, like, this year is in Central and Western District. They Last just, year was over here. Yeah. They the, the year before was Shang Tsui Po. Sorry? Do
1: those artists get paid?
3: If okay. Paid? Uh, they have a big sponsor, which is Bands, oh, right? Okay. So, in a way, I'm sure there is some compensation for the artists, uh, mainly at least paying, because they also come from overseas. Some, they are local, luckily. Many, they are also from uh, overseas. Uh, I mean, always good to promote locally, but it's part of the thing, balancing things. So I'm, I believe that they pay the, 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 you know, the flight or the, the stay in the material, whatever, maybe a, a little compensation. The platform works quite well, so they come to your, your own uh, building, a uh, shop, and they ask you Would you like to rent? of course, for free. Your wall will give you a list of artists, you pick who you like. But you cannot give limitation. Of course, there are maybe religious, not fancy. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to maintain certain things. But then the artist is free to express themselves.
1: That is actually really good. Yeah. Cool. And
3: this is actually a platform. You
4: know?
1: mm-hmm.
3: Okay, it's apply mainly to graffiti, murals, whatever you wanna call it, mm-hmm. uh, stencil, print mm-hmm. on wall, whatever you wanna apply on the wall. But it works. It will happen soon. Uh, and those two guys i mean they they started really from their passion and uh, and we also had like i talked to them but i saw them also during the talk it's quite it's quite interesting how they made that happening on call especially getting all the authorization because you know building department highway department because they had to block certain number of parking to you know for safety maybe they need like Mm, scaffolding, cranes. There was one in Chanchay uh, Paul from a, a South American artist that is this kind of like 3D looking bear, super colorful with a yellow background effect. And to see it's like one of the best I've seen the year. But so this one. Uh, then there are less official and legal uh, <laughs> platforms, but I would like to mention because it's a way of seeing things again. I've been doing some research on, on this, like entering abandoned schools in Hong Kong, which they are abandoned for what reason? Not because we don't know what to do. Mainly it's because they are there waiting the maybe five, ten years' term to change the zoning of that land and then sell it with much higher profit so we can build a skyscraper possibly or residential. So there are like now I don't remember the exact number, but let's say over 200 schools abandoned. What happened years ago? A bunch of guys, possibly even more organized, they, they bring and connect artists and each of them they they pick a room and if you go in one of those schools each of the classroom is actually arranged by the artists with their own styles, their own graffiti or installation, some that are also quite creepy. I can share with you the photo. And uh, yeah, it's normally really safe to go inside and it's just so I don't suggest. But it's a, a very cool experience. That's another way, how they create their own platform, especially for street art that most of the time is not considered legal. But then there are examples all over the world where actually the city recognizes it and they dedicate entire street uh, alleys, maybe yeah. not the most commercial Belgium ones. Does that, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah.
6: Some of them that, like after you went into photos of, we discovered media? that some of them were quite famous. Yeah, and oh, they right. sell their. Yeah. I mean, they actually mm-hmm. sell. So yeah. they do mm-hmm. have a commodity for doing it, but they were doing it in a legal way. After, you know, yeah. that maybe mm-hmm. for them was for fun, but they were actually I, quite well-known graffiti artists. I, I
3: took a photo of this mm-hmm. beautiful girl mm-hmm. in a atrium of this school in uh, choi hong and he chose the perfect light coming from that door on a staircase all the possible ingredients that were there i posted on instagram that i learned to use a few years ago and i won a photography competition because of that but apart that but that guy that i i, I did research and he's a very famous artist and is doing works all over the world. He was in town presenting a gallery, but has been invited to go there. So you see this like duality of parallel and wars almost because there's not enough, and it doesn't matter if it's a street cool hip hop artist, whatever, or it's more like related to public space, is the same. To me, it's the same, especially when there is this thinking behind of what it could be part of, like, the public space for people and the interaction between the installation or the paintings or you know, the... whatever it could be. So these are the yeah, ones I, ones, uh, yeah.
1: I think that's probably... It's probably not common to all industries, but maybe within the art industry, that there's that combination of official government-sponsored and the unofficial sort of underground, grassroots kind of platforms that... Some sort of top down, and others are bottom up. Uh, maybe that's unique to the fine art world. I don't know. But so okay. yeah, I mean, what other platforms are there though for other creative people? I mean, I know Instagram is yeah. obviously one of them. Which I talking
0: that. I think YouTube is another one of them. Um, what I find really interesting is there. I know a, a couple of people who record themselves within their studio and it's it's some sort of just it's sort of like vlogging so like fashion vloggers they do that but it's it's actually an artist who sits in her studio and she might be painting and and it's so rare that you get to see that because it's almost like again you're showing too much of your process and People, artists don't really do that, but like YouTube is definitely, I think, another platform that allows to for YouTube. Yeah, it's that you you can share it.
1: I think if, yeah, that then takes the gallery out of mm-hmm. that process, which is what we were talking about. That there's always that sort of kind of. Um,
7: if you if you decide that it. you don't need uh, a gallery system or you don't need a guild or anything between you and the customer to do what you need to do, then that's a different mindset. Mm -hmm. That's a different framework, then you can actually be a little bit adventurous in how you want to make whatever you do a commodity, right? Because then you will be drafting your own set of rules.
0: Yes. I just, I find it interesting, again, going back to this idea of education and how It's taboo to even think that. Oh, how could you ever promote yourself? Um, Because that's bad. Like that's commercialization. So you, you have to let somebody else do that and take a very large cut of it. Um, And I find that, like, when you go to the root of the issue, which is education, so then, like, how, how is that possible that it's always going to be funneled the same way? And. I'm really interested in knowing, sort of like the students who, like, what do you think that's gonna happen? If you know, you're, mm. I, if I'm calling us like a risk, how do you feel in knowing that, well, this is my future, potentially, if you so, would uh, like to stay with uh, me? Yeah. I'm
1: really uh, different kind of people in here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
7: not a side
1: um, I'm actually doing a contracting company. Okay. Yeah. But I have two. Two daughters. They are, They will be five years old in this coming August. Uh, I'm always concerned about their future. In the future, right?
5: in the future I,
4: I I think the job
2: market will be very difference compared with. Um, mm. so, oh yeah. I like AI robot will take over all the jobs,
5: Okay, robots, and,
2: Yeah. And the creativity industry, <laughs> Robot and, and software. The creative yeah. industry
1: is really important to them. Yeah, I'm looking for what right? I Right. And think, and I, I want I'm not always looking for some source
3: that them touch the, the arts and help people really give their the seed to, to their mind. Mm. Um, I think for myself, uh, as a student or as as my friends, we do not see this shift in the market,
4: changes mm-hmm. from People usually do love lot of so they do want to buy more rents, but we as we, through education, as we get to know um, where our products come from, like the knowledge of the product itself, we do appreciate um, close relationship with the product. So, we do, I could see that shift starting to change cool. from like huge brand towards um, local brand with this, like, sort of um, appreciation. So, um, our generation, I guess we tend to go for a cheaper price but more authentic type of product, rather than the bigger and expensive brands. So, in terms of education-wise, I think we're more educated in that sense to be able to spend more towards that kind of product. So, I think a few weeks ago, I was in a talk show where um, there was Eric from M Museum with, um, so the, I think one of the questions that could be related to you would be, he was, I think one of the audience asked how uh, he chose his, how he chose the artist to be exhibiting the, in his own art gallery. So he said something about, he fell in love with um, Julie and Jesse brand mm-hmm. identity in terms of how both of them market their own brand. So, I know as an artist, it's very personal with this mm-hmm. sort of communication between you, yourself and your product, and your, your artwork, basically. So Julie and Jesse didn't start off with pottery ceramics, I think, I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. But there's an installation at Haas, I think, right now, so Yeah. Still, though, yeah. 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 Um, so she was saying something about how she felt, um, Eric, uh, Eric fell in love with how Julie and Jesse um, the intricacy towards their own ceramics and pottery making. So, that was something that he wanted to bring in the gallery. So, I thought I mean, that could be related. Uh, according to, like, how he chose to Jassy. um, like, he was saying how he fell in love, basically, with their brand and In terms of how to find their own ceramic products,
7: They're, like, a perfect example of mm-hmm. this, of this talk. I mean, mm-hmm. because they are... <laughs> they are... Um, <laughs> well, what are they? Would you put them in the fine arts category or would you put them in the Crafts. applied arts category? Oh. Because Anna they straddle both. Yeah. Yeah. Or, 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 or the fine arts yeah. or craft. I don't they, they... Well, they don't actually physically... They, the the do yeah. they They work do themselves do They working on the work. yeah.
4: um, they I'm make. a lot of they working with
1: ceramicists in jing to gen or my... Is that well, about I mean, things?
7: that is... Even if,
1: create it, in their head, even if you were a fine art. artist,
7: you can still delegate. Oh, of course,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah you. They're not making it with their hands, not that that's any less of a thing, but
7: right. But um, I think they're, to me, in my mind, they're primarily a product designer or a, a crafted fine arts, and they they have the leeway or the flexibility to go into fine arts to do a little bit more the core to the pottery, the pottery that's useful. Yeah. They have never, as far as I know, been through a gallery system, but they put themselves on different exhibitions mm-hmm. and um, they do create bespoke ceramics for restaurants. Yeah. Um, and they mark they market and they commodify their fine arts part of their of their creative work with fashion brands like cost. So they're one of those people that haven't been able to bypass the gallery system, but still get the um, the check mark from and plus, curators to
1: be, yeah.
7: Yeah. from to government-based collect. curators, you know, who you know who are strongly tied to a gallery system. Yeah, that's a good example. Actually, sorry, the one that went
1: through
6: Hong Kong
1: yeah. and then over to it was in Milan so yeah. first. Was- and then it came here, and then it went to Chicago. Yeah, Yeah. and that was a government initiative, but yeah, they were, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think they're sort of, they are fine artists. What they do is purely creative. Those vases, I think it costs, I may be wrong. I don't know if they're functional at all. So I think it's more art than design. But if you spend over
7: 2000 dollars, you get a ceramic bowl for free from Julie and mm-hmm. Jesse in a nice package box. There you go. Their
6: business but they have Latitude 22 n which is right. the product stuff. Yeah. Julie and Jesse is the, the much top. more fine art yeah. And, yeah. and that's, you know, the way that they sell it. And it's
7: And they've done it under in their own terms. Yeah. Without mm-hmm. having to
3: go through a gallery system. Yeah. So, which is interesting. So they created great. their own platform,
6: mm.
4: yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. which is shape of that type of product for also the like creativity in a way, but they also being able to be more commercial because at the end you need to decide for public space it could be the same. So, but mm. again, you look just at your platform, you want to help like all the public artists. So is it your target just creating a platform that work just like for those two guys or for yourself or more like a sector like pub, because you can't use probably the popular one for functioning in a business like public space which is touching other other dimension and other parties involved so this is maybe a question for you mm. so what is your target Are you really trying to create a platform functioning for different type of arts in that sector or just because someone can paint a wall Some can make an installation, passive or maybe active, interactive with people and more. So, but with Julie and Jesse, they got through the fine arts
7: route, through the useful products route. Mm -hmm. So they they had to work with briefs, they had to work with specifications and stuff. Then they could apply their uh, perspective. But most fine artists don't work like that. Mm. So that is the question. I think if you if fine artists really want to commodify, if they can't have the gallery define their prices for them mm. and they, they want to skip the gallery system and do a direct commodification themselves, mm. then they need to be open to be useful yes. for different types of people. Mm. Yes.
1: Well, mm. I want to add to that, and this is actually that talk that we did with um, my brain has just yeah. fallen apart a couple of years ago. I'm looking at a leak, but it wasn't a leak. Who was it? Um crying out loud. Oh my God, that's where I met you. Yes, that was that night. So the first thing I was... It is leak. No, it's not. No, It wasn't a leak. It wasn't the leak? Crap. Anyway, so they had <laughs> they had an artist come in. So it was, it was sort of talking about these luxury brand collaborations with artists. So... What's his name? He did something with Coach, and then Pings did something with Was it LV? Gary Basement. Gary Basement. But who was the brand? I can't remember now. Anyway, it's the leak, right? Maybe it was the, Leap, right? it it, was the It's what's Andrew? Y- right? y- Yadro. 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 Yes. Bail. So maybe that's how artists are starting to commodify themselves in a way that they're doing these collaborations where their work becomes a product, I suppose, in a way. That they have their creative outlet if you can call what Jeff Koons does, creative. Anyway, I didn't say that out loud. And then, you know, because I think it's all commercial, but anyway, and then sell what he does to the handbags. I don't know. but I also think that Many of us will always have two sides to what we do. Whether it's that clearly distinct or not, I don't know. But there will be the projects that you want to do because they allow you to be creative and they're fulfilling in a creative sense. And then there will be the projects that pay well and support the creative projects. I think we all do that, whether or not we put a label on it or have two different brand names. I mean, we do with Design Anthology. We have a parent company that produces. I mean, we're actually lucky to have great clients, and they're still fun and creative. We get to work with people like Daniel, but they're the things that bring in the money that help take the pressure off the the thing that you kind of want to do. And I think everybody has those sorts of... Divisions, I don't know, that there are things that you do to pay the bills. And I've heard actors say it that they do the Michael Bay movies, and that's what pays for the next four indie films that no one's going to see, but that's what they really want to do.
6: Yeah, it's true, because you think, whenever anyone wins an Oscar, then they will be, to be after. actor. Now the important actor, Black Swan? Thor. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't matter. Yeah, you well, know, she probably got paid tons but to yeah, do Thor. but then... So then after that, they can do the five indie yeah, I remember what Nicole came in and left. But there's actually like a. If you look at the movie yeah. they do after Helen Mirren after the Queen, she did Red with Bruce Willis and
7: Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> was like, yes. so she wasn't Fast and the Furious though. oh God. Really? Yes. <laughs>
1: I was thinking of John Cusack, but you know because that was that was actually the like the quote that I remembered. But yeah, it clearly is kind of a thing. So I think all of us creatively and maybe even artists do that too. I don't know. Maybe they take a commission or they work with a gallery on a
2: show. But the successful ones, that's the tricky thing. You know, you can commodify, because I think art relies on, because it's two things, because there's two kind of distinct things. With, um, because we're still, if we're still on the topic of applied arts and art, I think applied arts, you can commodify the process. Yeah. In the time it takes. You know, the expectation is the delivery what comes at the end of you know the, the the deadline with fine art it's a sort of open thing you can't rush it it's a part of the you know they're imparting their psyche the medium is just whatever they use to convey Spice. that in such a way either meticulously or very sort of abstract you know you don't see it, you know? exactly. <laughs> so, 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 them, so,
6: like, they don't have a time frame because they're artists, but no,
2: they can have a time frame. Like, yeah, can well, that, sometimes they have to, they have to, but some there's certain art pieces that take, you know, like, like you know, some there are artists that only do, like, four pieces a year, yeah, that's uh, because doing. it's so, it's so much work, you know, in painting on the linen, you know, like Chinese painters.
1: But is it because they made it or just because they're artists and they can't be rushed?
2: Um, sometimes they kind of need it, no, pace, but, and, and, <laughs> and, but then again, it's going to be what JJ said. Yeah, I think but
1: we all just kind of put us in a different yeah. category. And but, not but, but, it's also, have,
2: but there are also nice artists like, like what JJ said. It's the same. There are artists who actually run a studio. They have PR. They run it like an architect's office.
1: Leonardo da Vinci.
2: Yeah, they have the whole studio have of people to so yeah, Like
1: Michelangelo. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Michelangelo. Yeah, absolutely. Back in the That's Renaissance.
1: That would have been commissioned by someone It's on the roof of a freaking building. Yeah. It's one of, you know, I, mean, I don't know what your yeah, opinions the... are. We've got our Italian here who can absolutely. tell us. But, we, yeah. we, but, you know, get people go see that. It's considered to be a masterpiece. And yeah. there are many, many pieces
7: like, like, like that. Like but,
1: yeah, many others maybe today might be like,
7: look at this artist where this art, this art, For the sake of just being an artist, which is unrelated to like families you're painting for or churches you're painting for or whatever, Mm -hmm. is fairly a fairly modern-like way to think about artists and the profession. I mean, it's like twentieth century.
1: Working through galleries, you mean? Where
7: you don't, where you're doing it for yourself and not for others. So that's a, it's a fairly modern thing and it's a fairly modern problem to have. Mm -hmm. Like when some, when people started defining art as art in like the mid 20th century or the early 20th century, I think there was a book called, art did not exist until like a hundred years ago or 80 years ago because everything before that was craft. Yeah. So if you, if you that you've got the fine artists, and then you've got everyone else. Well, yeah. everybody else is still in craft. Even interior designers, architects, mm-hmm. fashion, because you're doing something based on a brief. Whereas artists, capital A, are the artists very 20th century. Hmm. Then how do they commodify, if not mm-hmm. through a gallery system that that um, structures a narrative for everybody else?
0: I think that came with the institutions, though. Look at the RA.
7: But the art schools and things like that even came before the gallery system, mm-hmm. I assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that was put was, was artists for artists at love Bauhaus, but even that is under the craft. Mm. So... Yeah, I guess, yeah, I mean, most us, it must be before. I think they century. separated in the mid 20th century somewhere where you can do, be this and not, you know, you, being an artist has... Um, Capital A has higher reach reaches, it's to change civilization, to, to be political, mm-hmm. to be to change civilizations, to work on bettering yourself or your soul or whatnot. And that is when it really completely split as a craft.
0: A craft has much more of a purpose of brief. Exactly. A functionality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a very large difference between the two.
7: So when you say creative disciplines, maybe for, for your when you when you move on with these questions, you have to start defining exactly well, there's in the creative discipline, there's the artist and then there's the craft based art. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well then there's also design I think thrown into that because I think to make craft is actually physically making something. There's a technique, there's a process. I think, I think design
7: fits in craft. It
1: does sometimes. But not always. Sometimes those of us that design things don't actually make them by hand. So I think craft is also a skill. <laughs> I need to learn how to do that. And <laughs> well, that's a craft I want to learn. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's kind of something that comes up in conversation quite a lot, I think, in this office is where are those, those because those lines are so blurred now, is where does art start and end? Where does design start and end and where does craft fit within all of that and I think there's a bit of a there is an overlap definitely and it's sort of fashion to me is sort of something that's I don't know it almost encompasses
5: all three really. I think it does I think that um, the industry I guess over the past 10 to 20 years it's just gone into so fast Mm pace and there have been so many collections after collection after collection that when we see so much product out there, there's this oversupply of it. That to me, when I listen to all of you talk about, um, you know, how commodified your industries are, uh, you know, from less to more, I think fashion is incredibly commodifying. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Everything we do is scaled. Everything we do um, is is made to sell. Almost
4: everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I
5: think that we're sort of in a unique position because. Um, lots of, I think a lot of people wouldn't really consider fashion as an art um, because it's it's, it's functional um, a lot of the designs that we wear today are not necessarily new or groundbreaking um, but I think for a lot of leading uh, fashion brands, they sort of want, they, they try and steer away from that they do, they do that through several weeks, they do it through you know couture, so through Chanel or your um uh, Valentino you know, you want to sort of, um, you want to create a dream or something that isn't necessarily bought in everyday life or worn, but, you know, can be bought by a handful so There is this, this dream that you're trying to create. Um, there are things like uh, partnerships with, with um, artists like Jeff or or uh, Kusama, where they try and elevate the product in a way that, you know, it doesn't really fit. It's not just the product you're buying into a brand, into a dream. Um, you know. Things like, you know, does magazines, because they don't just want to be about creating in-the-walls clothing, they want to embody a sense of philosophy. Um, and obviously, fashion magazines, shoots, branding, all of those different elements are trying to elevate products, which, you know, in the world we live in today is, is a bit vulgar because there's so much product out there into, into the realm of feeling.
1: Yeah, I think fashion is, I mean, if we talk about design and you were saying like as a brief from a client, there's a very clear sort of deliverable that you give to a client in return for money, whereas fashion, there clearly is, but it's. I think it's changed. Mm-hmm. I think perhaps in the early days of fashion, I would have considered more of it in terms of art, that mm-hmm. it would have been almost purely creativity, clearly it has to be functional to some degree, but I feel like now, fashion designers, and you were saying, just the sheer volume of stuff mm-hmm. that comes out, yeah. that, and I don't know anything about fashion, this is just an observation that that brief is more of a financial one mm-hmm. than, um...
4: What is it do yeah. yes. so.
1: because
4: think
6: you have It's like an artist who goes and paints and does a collection, and if it doesn't sell, then they, they can't, right? Mm. You can't, you can't. And it's the same for fashion design. their collection doesn't sell, mm. then they get... Mm-hmm. Like a but the difference is I think an artist
1: can choose to maybe do one major show a year I'm mm-hmm. guessing, I'm throwing that out there whereas fashion now sometimes is up to eight collections mm-hmm. Eight mm-hmm. yes
2: Which is mm-hmm. it's crazy it
1: is the collection. and they might do eight looks or something oh yeah like, how can uh, you.? It is, it is. That is, that is the
6: epitome of yeah. commodifying. the think Raf Simon left your. This thing was just like, I can't do
4: Churning
6: this. Yeah. You know, and if you, if, like, you know, watching the, the documentary, it was yes. like heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, because the amount of stress, I'd be like, dying. Yeah.
2: You know, it's exhausting. And yeah. it's very quick as well. The, yes. the lives are almost in. You
1: know, and for someone you know. like him, I think also who doesn't want to delegate. You know, I think some people at the heads of those companies do a rough sketch and someone develop it. De- develops it, from my understanding, which is very limited. But yeah, I get the feeling that for someone like him, it would have been very hard to not be creating. Not part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, like an artist very involved. doing a rough sketch and you know, getting someone else to do the painting. I, I don't know, I think that would be hard for a lot of people. But yeah, the fashion world, I just Mostly. think is, I don't know yeah. how sustainable that is from a creative point
5: of view. I don't think it's sustainable, but I think that people I guess it's, it's, it's considered the conventional form. So that's that's, the yeah. That is the name oh, right? yeah. I mean if, yeah. I mean the uh graphs and left like you or you want to Calvin Klein Calvin Klein is huge. Not, yeah <laughs> no, exactly. It was like that's not that big yeah. yeah. online. No, no. Yeah. But I, I mean you have like other you have exceptions like as an liar who said I want you know, I you know, create what I want to create. Um. I show collections when I want to show
4: collections. Mm-hmm.
5: And I think because he has been able to stick by that and he has had the luxury to do that um. Um, and has enjoyed um, success mm-hmm. before all of his commercial coming in, you know, some luxury offers. Yeah. Um, and you know, his, his work is considered, you know, form of art. Um, and you know, he's showing in museums similar to Alexander Queen. Right. Um, But it's very rare nowadays to see that. I just
1: watched the documentary on Dries Van Loten that's on Netflix. Mm. That's kind of why it's in my mind. And I think it's those few designers that have managed to kind of stay away a little Mm. bit from the industry of fashion. Mm. That have managed to maintain, I don't know, a sense of integrity and themselves and the brand Mm. rather than... It just being purely commodity. I mean they
2: still need to sell collections to survive. I mean there must be enormous pressure. Yeah, I no, was so I was just in um, the meeting an old friend over the weekend um, who did who designed shoes. He designs he's a shoe designer. And he was in Hong Kong just for a day and and he and he and he mentioned that he had to sort of change, you know, he constantly has to sort of change his um, designs suit not, not just the trend but the sort of even the habits of because apparently he has now he, he's he's uh devoting most of his time now on designing shoes like trainers and flats because i think apparently women are not wearing high heels anymore. Anyway. i don't know but but less, we
4: it's mean, less. Of, LB, yeah, yeah, less. <laughs> but,
2: yeah I mean, but he he'd said that that's that's everywhere, and it's uh, and and and, and I, I said this out to like, the U.S. or no no it's everyone, and they they they, they, they it's just sudden it's a lot of pressure, and he has to deliver like hundred. Because I remember like so, someone was questioned. Um, so how many shoes do they have to do in the collection? Twenty. No, it's like a hundred, I it it's over a hundred.
1: Really? Wow. Yeah, that's
6: a real commodity, I suppose, isn't it? A, it's, it's a lot of work. Artists yeah. as well, fine artists who I know that, mm. you know, you go and see a painting, and they're like, oh, I like that, and look, you're a little free. You know, and, mm. and then they, they look around, and they're like, here you go. And I mean, there are artists who do that, mm. and really make it into a commodity. There's a now. Mm.
2: Oh yeah, he's the master. Yeah, yeah.
1: definitely.
2: Yeah. Um, well, you're
1: yeah, a Koons, I, think. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, the, yeah. I used to wonder, I used to wonder to myself, um, this is kind of actually maybe a question to me, is there a fine line between art and advertising? Because I used to think, I used to believe that, I used to think that art is is actually fairly close to advertising. Some of it can be.
1: I've had this conversation with Phil before trying yeah. to describe the difference between art and propaganda. Yeah,
2: because as being part of, you know, right, of an advertising artist, advertising which is really a part of that, and, and, and it's being very clever with it, and it's being, and it's It's, many, selling and something. it's trying to sell as well. It's it
1: might just be an idea or an aspiration.
2: Mm. But it's just yeah, something. and indirectly very subtle or the symbolism. Mm. But I think, I, I, I think, um, we're talking about a history, you know, like okay, Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel. This is an interesting time because I think we were talking about platforms and trajectories, what, what all this means. Um, this is a particularly interesting time that we'd have no idea. This, it's, I mean, we, we talked about pluralism and global, that, that was like. You know, that was like in the 80s, you know, nobody really had any idea. I, I mean, we, we still have fax numbers on business cards, I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why.
1: It's but,
2: but nobody, I mean, um, yes. Derek's talking about his his kids, um, nobody has a clue, like, what's going to happen, but I think what, what I've seen, what I'm seeing so far is there is a lot of excess there is a lot of what I would dub as excess in terms of information, what is out there. Mm. Not just the news, not just current affairs, but also in the creativity, which is actually linked intrinsically as well, especially with art. Um, Now, there is a lot of overlap. So art in public space, art in trainers. uh, Handbags. Handbags there's a, list a lot of you know like crossovers that seems to be a big business model uh, stores you don't want to invest in the stores so have a pop-up store these things are just it's you know it's these, maybe maybe these are the platforms and I don't know these, these are the, the sort of um, the the projects themselves or these you know the, the sort of more ephemeral Bubbles least, I don't think anyone knows what's happening. I think it's going to be very technology
1: based, you know, especially <laughs> whatever happens in the future and none of us know what that's going
2: to be. Yeah, I don't know how the art, yeah, not how artists feel about it, but it's, it's definitely become it's more of a... I mean, if you ever just think I can't
6: remember what that was We watched a documentary about things and he did this whole, um, it's like a uh, treasure hunt. So for a month, every day, he or every week, he released something that he yeah. did in New York, and so he would pop it up, he would release it, and then these people would start following it, and there was just crowds of people just like, oh, there's an up in like, Brooklyn, we have all, and then people would go, and it became this oh. treasure hunt.
2: It's like Pokemon Go.
3: Yeah,
6: it's cool too. It was a documentary about it.
3: and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like, like that's yeah. <laughs> New York or something like yeah. yeah, that. I can't remember yeah, how yeah, long yeah. it took. It to meet the negative things, and then some of those pieces and yeah, has been collected by maybe the family running the like, business yeah. in the mm-hmm. courtyard, or someone else, and then galleries. In some way, they obtain and sold it as their own yeah. piece, which actually that was a piece of a wall, yeah. or maybe by someone or an abandoned building, or a piece of um, asphalt. Well, it shouldn't belong into
6: so a knowing in, uh, yeah. and they would This is a public. big problem. It's, a, it's a They
3: fell in time to steal the yeah. piece yeah. of wall. Wow.
6: and chisel it. was meant to be
3: public and, bring wow. gallery.
6: and then drive it to the gallery and make it's a bid. Like what that's, gallery will pay us for this? That's mm-hmm. serious. And then a gallery would pay and there was this like you could see the video footage where they would pull up and they would like bring this piece of that wall out and then they would place it there and then people would start bidding like in, yeah you know after sure. you know, New York but people start vining, yeah. and the thing was like the whole time the emphasis was I mean like, this, like basically Maxie doesn't see any of this, right? Yeah. He
3: does it, he it and then people That's do what they want with it. And one one That's more thing, a beautiful behavior instead by the community that they install a plexiglass in front of this wall to avoid vandal of tigers because yeah many they also don't want to cover you know the neighbor feel you don't come from england to do graffiti in new york and these people run i think a supermarket or something and I'm, I'm not sure and they preserve it so it's there and yeah. people mm-hmm. can go into their photo whatever just spend maybe a minute to to look at it and there was a fight because they tried to attack it and yeah. beaten up by, by people value, defending yeah. their value
1: melbourne mm-hmm city council, so Melbourne is quite famous for public art in laneways Mm -hmm. and it's a fairly recent thing, but they paid Banksy to come out and paint something in a laneway but someone who worked for the city council who didn't know that it was a Banksy piece painted over it in white so it's like the complete opposite of what you are saying. but it's all about perceived value so they're like, oh this is just a worthless piece of of cash so we'll paint over
6: it. He never (laughs) sells it he doesn't get any money. It's through. a public artwork, because yeah. Because he's made such a name for himself through media, through, you know... Mm-hmm.
4: Right.
1: So in one end of the world, it's getting ripped up and taken to galleries, <laughs> and the other end of the world
3: is getting in, painted in, over. It's, in so one of the day, it, talking yeah. about perception, one of the day was just selling some of those famous redone and stencil like on canvas and selling just like a, a normal... Artists selling on the really street,
4: camp.
3: no one stopped to buy like those very famous, if you know I mean, it. Really? Like and then a man stopped and bought for like 10 US $10, dollars $10, a bunch with them, even though knowing. It. So no one noticed, no one thought that. So perception.
1: Mm. And
6: some were huge too. Like some, I think, took him like a good week to set up because they were oh, wow. like mechanical yeah. and like nice really moving, manager. shifting like, installation.
3: It's very interesting. interesting.
6: Yeah. So why is it that what we do
1: is perceived to have less value than accountants and lawyers and doctors?
0: Well, what that I is million dollar question. really like, interesting uh-huh. is sort of this idea of supporting back or, like, reinvesting back into the creative, the creativity. And I suppose in something like public art, um, it becomes so grey because having someone chisel it and selling it back to the gallery, in a way it is sort of get, you supporting it. Or whether you're taking pictures with it, it's still supporting it. So how do you go and actually put a framework around to say, it, is it good supporting, bad supporting? Like what, what are the aspects of support? Because at the end of the day is that it needs to get support. Whether it's financially, whether it's people wanting to take pictures with it, whether, like, in whatever means, whatever capacity, as an artist or as a creative, you still need to get it out there in order for there to be awareness. Um, and that's really interesting because, you know, I think there is this kind of perceived, like, it's good or it's bad. But maybe it's not, though. Maybe it's just a method of things just being supported and it has. A way to to reach to that sense of support, and so why you know there is why we have less value. I don't I don't know if we have less value. Like what kind of value? Like cultural value, economic value? Like what kind of value? More
1: financial, yeah. Why do Why is it that creative people feel the need to sell ourselves for free to start off with? Mm. Like what lawyer or doctor or. Accountant is going to go out there and go. I'll work for you for free for six months just to get you know my name. It would be
6: interesting also to see it or, like from your point of view where you can't value it depending on what region or what countries. I think you're in at strictly Hong Kong, yes, they're probably. But I think that's more just it, it's not. I, I think there's people who love like if when we walk down the, the promenade, there were tons of people out looking at the public art that was. But because there's been never an opportunity for that, like mm-hmm. if when I first moved yeah. here. 18 years ago, I really was like, God, what have I done? Because it kind of felt like a cultural wasteland. Like mm. I felt like I had moved from, you know, being in Toronto, close to New York, um, so close to London, and then coming to Hong Kong, I was like, geez, like, what happened? It's not even a museum. But then you have to find little niches, like mm. you find those little galleries, mm. you find those little things that you can go and you can see. And it's not that it doesn't exist here, but it doesn't exist as such a big sign way. Aspect, no. like but then. Interesting. We were talking to the director from um, Japan, talking public
4: art,
6: and he was talking about how public art and how that's viewed in in Tokyo. Think, not all of Japan, but it's actually very revered. Like you don't get so much of a pushback in a way. Like I, I think because they were having this whole like talk about Brooklyn Park as opposed to Tokyo and. But maybe it's perception, and I always found like, I don't know if this is maybe my own perception, but going to Tokyo and going into museums, you see a wide range, like a super wide range from like, in the morning, if I'm in the morning there, or from at night there, there really is- Of oh, some the people going there. Yeah. Locals, you know, yeah. not just tourists, but, and it's not that I think it happens here. I, I you can see it, like I think when Hong Kong Art Fair started, which was the predecessor of Art Basil, you would go in and it, you would see tons of people, mm. you know, and often for the first time they get to see Picasso, for the first time they get to see a young guy, you know. And there is an interest there, but maybe just because, I don't know, has Hong Kong just... just,
4: just well, Hong kind Kong's
1: of, always been a financial hub, right? Yeah. And that's you know, what this city, city, it's city. is, that's and what anyway, it does well. Maybe going
6: into somewhere like Copenhagen, where that perception is actually quite... The value maybe even higher, like it mm. may be a higher value, or in London. Mm. Or, you know, what, what are the different perceptions of... Art, it's very valuable, I think. Yeah, because I think that's very much something that you may not find the same talk or same responses that we've had in those places.
2: No, not at all. Yeah, no. I, I would, I would
6: agree. I think that's guess, what I love about the creative community
1: in this city, though, is yeah. that it's almost like, against all odds, we're still here and we're still fighting and we're still going. You know, this, like Hong Kong is—it's a business city. It's a financial hub. It's a trading city. We're so <laughs> <laughs> the sunflower.
4: love.
0: we And then the ones
6: who are like, and, uh, and I think it's great because when we went and saw the Brooklyn Park thing, I said, this thing started 15 years ago right. when first started, you know, asking the government, and Bloomberg who started saying, look, we have to have some lands, so we need to have these public spaces, and it took me 15 years to do it. Right. And I said, you know what, that's going to happen in Hong Kong.
1: Yeah. But look at M+. Though. So I was at the Murray yesterday morning for a meeting, and we went up to the bar that hasn't opened yet, we are looking out across Kowloon. The pavilion,
2: what, sorry. Sorry. But is it the pavilion or...? Uh, Yeah, the pavilion.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. well, actually, no, maybe it's, it's... either the pavilion or whatever's going on okay. in construction. I don't know how much right. progress they've had, but there's something that's wrapped. So okay. maybe it's a maybe pavilion. But it's yep. a big... And someone, one of the people that I was with, I was with Marissa from Eskew, and was like, mm. oh, my God, it's so great, and Plus finally has a sign-up. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, now there's this physical presence, and it's, you know, I've been here 12 years. It's something we've been talking about a long time and I think they've done an amazing job of connecting with the community and having a presence here physically without actually having a building. I think that's probably one of the most interesting things for me through this process is that a museum doesn't have to be a building. Mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. something Eric talks about quite a bit but now that there is this building coming and it's like there's something to look forward to and yeah if something like that
6: took 15 years in Brooklyn which means white, you know, you, know, you know, again, like the perception of value the West. And I think you could see like it would probably run the yeah, I like if you went from East to Centre to mm. West, you know. I think it's, that might have, I don't know if that can help your, what you're doing, but I think the perception is always quite driven by the socio as well.
7: It's and so, also in all these cities st- that you mentioned, like, Tokyo and Copenhagen mm-hmm. and Berlin. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York. It's already has hundred, well, a couple hundred years of a leisure class. Yes. And the leisure class situation allows it to be more than just a uh, commodity based city or a or a skill set based. Hong Kong. I mean, if you look at Hong Kong and Shanghai, I mean, like Shanghai has a leisure class. Hong Kong. Leisure class started when money started coming in, and that's also 20th century. So I I suppose now that um, the heyday of money falling into Hong Kong is starting to really slow down and stabilize, we could finally have a leisure class of citizens who see the art and creative um, path of life is a valid one, and once we get that, then we, we hopefully can be more than just a commodity city and actually be, have artists and creatives, parents are telling their kids it's okay to go that route. Yeah. And then that is when it could be a commodity for everybody else.
4: Well,
1: I think adding to that, and this is something that I was talking on a panel about at Art Stage in Singapore about design and age. So not so much art, but more design related, mm-hmm. but it's kind of, I don't know, there's always this sort of question about why is it, you know, where why is Asia where it's at as opposed to the rest of the world? But I think if you kind of look at the history, yeah, it's not just leisure class, but most of Asia has been colonised and had resources, and nat- or natural resources and finances funnelled out, com- out of the country for maybe decades, maybe centuries. It's only really been in the last couple of decades that certain countries in Asia have actually become completely independent and drag themselves out of maybe third world status but yeah, design and fine art is maybe not necessarily a priority so, no, yeah. you know, they're just trying to feed their people and get clean water so there's been a huge amount of progress I think in certain places but I think it really it depends on it's not so much just a cultural thing, it's got to do with the history of
7: the country and yeah. And, yeah, If what you have, a population, if you have a population of people who are saying that it's okay for their kids to be creative, then you will also have the same amount of population of people who will see that Paying money for creatives Yes. Is, yeah. it's, it's I agree. It, that you're it too too to It's hand to it. hand, hand. hand. Yeah. So until people kids and can stop seeing their kids just as doctors, lawyers, accountants, mm-hmm. then you know, I mean, then they will see that there are other options.
1: Well, that was one of the reasons why we wanted to start the magazine. I think was to be able to show people that. And I I heard. Um, uh, Gosh, oh, I forgot this name. No, um, Kelvin Cao spoke at the Asia Society, I think mm-hmm. I invited you. And he was talking about, um, yeah, I think maybe wanting to be an artist or a designer or whatever, and maybe very typical Chinese parents were like, no, oh, you can't do that. You know, maybe you should think about being an architect. There's this guy called I.M. Pei, and he seems to have become quite a big name. So maybe you <laughs> could think about doing that. And I think a lot of it is about having role models that are actually kind of valid, and that parents can look and go, "Oh, okay, that's actually a career, and you can do something and make yeah, a living." Went and
7: I have faced several times when I wanted to be a painter. <laughs>
0: oh, interesting! There you but I think it is about the idea of the relatability and accessibility. Um, because my dad asked the dean when I was doing my undergrad, "So what's my daughter gonna do?" How is she gonna ever make money? And I think the dean was just like, oh, there, I mean, there's so many different options. She can work in a museum. She can do. She can do whatever she wants. And so my dad said, oh, so she's never gonna make money. And I think <laughs> she, she, the dean was just like, I don't know what to say to you. Um, but there isn't that role model for for artists. Who, who am I referencing? Leonardo da Vinci. You, you, you know, like Van go? Like who who am I referencing? Like I don't I don't have
1: that. But I think also, and that's something that I've kind of really started to realise in the, the last kind of couple of years, I suppose, that having grown up in Australia, that there were a lot of things that I really took for granted that my parents weren't necessarily supportive, but it was just never something that I had to talk to them about or justify what I wanted to do, what I wanted to study. It wasn't a thing. And... I didn't realise that that was a thing in other parts of the world, that, like, you've told me your story. I've heard that story so many times now, and it's not just in Hong Kong, it's like, This whole thing of it's like almost like being gay and coming out of a closet. It's like, I want to be a designer (laughs) or I want to be an artist. And parents are like, (sighs) Oh my God, how are you ever going to support yourself? And I just, like, I, you know, I feel like that was something that I was very, and also, I guess, a girl as well of the generation that we've grown up in that, you know, for generations before, like, my mother's options were being a nurse or a teacher. Mm -hmm. So just within that short period of time that even just as a woman, but also having grown up in Australia It was just never something that I ever had to think about I didn't ever have to get funneled into something that was maybe going to be more profitable and be miserable for decades Not doing what I wanted to do and I
6: guess that's something that um, I've become more aware of It's important like what you said, you know, when you go into a firm, but like for you like saying, oh, I can't There's no person I can link up right. to it. but i think maybe sometimes it's just a mentor role. it doesn't have to be the person in the same field
0: well funnily my mentor is an architect yeah see so yeah it, it,
6: you know that i think for my brother it was the same like when he decided he wanted and he very much kind of took the safe route first and kind of was like an education and he did two years when he said oh, no i want to do fine arts and Being the older sister, I get the phone call from my parents. I've already been working for like 10 years at that point because I'm much older. But, you know, they said to me, like, we were super disappointed, you know, when when you became a designer. But fine, we got over it. But now your brother wants to be a fine artist. He's he's a guy. How is he going to support us? Like, there were lists of things that my parents said to me. And I was like, all right, at the end of the day, was I okay? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, at the end of the day, he's going to be okay. But you kind of you know, they need to like. That's a paradigm shift yeah,
7: for that generation.
5: And it's just,
6: yeah. it's, it's, and I think it's, it's also what we need to shift as a general, probably public, you know, perception is what we do is a commodity. We, even though you can't equate it as one plus one, it's not black and white, it's very gray, because even I can't explain it sometimes when I'm thinking of a concept or something, you know, even when I'm explaining something, mm. but it is a commodity. Because what we do yeah. creates something mm-hmm. that no one else can do. And
7: you just to have to define that. I, looking at number three, I really think that the school's job is to make sure that you have a point of view and a perspective.
4: Mm-hmm.
7: Mm-hmm. Um, because I also kind of feel, because I went to one of those old-fashioned schools, like mm-hmm. or not whatever, it, I also feel that one one of their they're they're very modernist and everything like that, and it's always very like Ayn Rand, ethelish, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Like you're you're not design you're designing for yourself, you're not designing for anyone, or you're designing for the whole society at large. We all we were okay. They never talk about <laughs> um, they never talk about commercialism. They never yeah. talk about commodification yeah. in architecture school. So I get what you're saying. Any design school, I don't know, maybe many. Or or any, but once they they bring in a level of how to educate kids about commercialism and commodity, then it takes the perspective away from designing for your own point of view and takes Mm. it to an end user. And that's, I think, why schools don't teach commercialism and the commodity of the profession, because they want you... Graduating, coming out with your own perspective because once you get in the real world, the real world will break it down for yeah. you or will help you build it.
2: I think it depends yeah. on the school. Yeah, know Dep- The one I went to back in Scotland was very technical. By the second year, we had to look at contracts, so we had to know what it was. Yes, really? Yeah. But and- don't you think that-
1: that's a good thing, though. I mean, is that partly why people's perceptions about what we do—that there is no value—that because we don't know how to sell what we do? Is, it's a, I think
2: it's a balance because I think I, re, I still remember because I, um, my first year working at Zaha House was a year out. I was still a student, and she asked, you know, she—I think she was this is over twenty years ago, so she was, I think, she was probably my age now, and she sort of asked me then, so why, why, like, why would, did you come? Why would you come and work? want to work here I think it was our first conversation so what did you say like over like painting just sort of a therapeutic thing so why, why did you want to work here so and I said I, I think I, can, I, I kind of remembered saying something like I was I was pretty it, you know, with what we're I think this is all very refreshing for me this is a whole liberation you know to, from what I do at school with the you know um, it's very technical and what have you and she said that, that's not a bad thing. And um, so, I mean, it's, it, it really is. I mean, it, it, cause so, so, I mean, I saw that, that um, being sort of bread and butter and knowing like bricks and joints and how to detail a, you know, a wall, boring as it is, it's also in you know, the grass is always greener. You know, the creative also wants, you know, things, recognizes the importance of, you know, how things are put together I mean, technically because ultimately we need to recognize these things as well and she and being the artist as well despite that she talked about I and mean, she was a diehard socialist back then you know who we would not to see it but it's a lot about the how the building sneaks the ground how it actually connects with you know, some of the context you know the, the, the sort of the early works you know, it, it does it didn't Seem that way. Seems very open, very abstract, and um, it's that sort of. It's, it's sort of very interesting well, that's the funny story
7: because you went to an artist after. Well, Zaha is an architect, but mm. she started out as a bit of a graphic artist. Mm. Um, so you you went to a technical school, learning contracts and stuff, and went to an artist after.
2: I no bias. But it was an architecture school. I mean, it was, it was, I still did, you know, we still did the projects, well, we still I, did I something. I never contracts
7: at my school. Yeah. But we learned form, and it was like a play for five years, and then I come out like, not knowing how to live, be a real person. <laughs> but then, and then I went to a, a completely corporate gig right out of it. So, right, the issue here is balance, right? Because, yeah. um, then the question is: Is it good to have uh, education mm. where you are aware of commodity, commercialism, and one word, the B word here that you know we haven't really spoken about briefly was branding, mm. right? So, is that important to learn as, uh, while you're learning? in education as a young
0: person I think that's really interesting because I have the opposite I went to a school that was incredibly commercial but then my department the only department was not and so it like the entire school works with clients like Nokia, GM, GE like the entire school worked around that type of branding and fine art doesn't because it's not like as a the the department's going to work with the Guggenheim, or they're going to work with the Gagosian. It just wasn't something like that. But I always was very aware that you're going to have to work, whether you like it or not, in the commercial aspect. Like even if you're getting shown, you're still being shown in a commercial way. Like it's still not you. So I find that really interesting. It's you having all these, you know, like learning something that's very commercial, very technical, And then going to somebody who isn't and then doing something that is quite a lot more creative and then going into something very commercial and then me going to this very commercial commercial school and having friends that worked literally in industries. But the school doesn't tell you, they're they're not like, oh, go meet with... Galleries go apply for funding. I don't they don't. They don't say that. But the entire school is based on landing clients. But the single department, it's like, oh no, we can't speak about that. And you're like, that's it's it's so bizarre because it's, it, it's just like, is it the school? Is it branding? Is it edu- like what is it? You know, like how do you start that from the young? And how do you? How can we better support that in order for it to have a balance? Because. It seems like everybody's had some sort of a, a taste of something in their education. And then somehow when you come out to the real world, everyone's just a bit like, huh. You
2: know, I, and I remember, remember, remember mentioning earlier um, about that sort of year. I was lucky. I was very lucky because um, I managed to work for somebody that sort of admired at the time. Uh, didn't know it was going to lead to it, lead to this. And um, because there's only like 13 people who did very sort of ideas, just very bold ideas. But I had um, I was very lucky in the sense that I was even able to get a job. And paid and paid—that's another thing, that's another topic. But um, I had a lot of friends who just decided to drop out because they couldn't find. Uh, if, I, you know, if, I, if I'm not going to get a job, yeah, if I'm not going to get an unpaid job during my year out, how am I going to get a paid job mm. when I graduate?
1: But that's the thing for me with yeah. education. So few of us so. these days go to school just for the fun of learning. I mean, unless you have parents that are, you know, you're moneyed and, sure. you know, you're a lady of leisure oh, sure. going to learn how to pay in a single or whatever. But the reality is we go to school to learn how to do something to earn a living. But if schools aren't actually teaching you how to do that for a living, what is the point of that education? Yeah.
2: And also integration with the industry as well, exactly. on a sort of supply end. That's what I'm end. saying. So whether it's yeah.
1: architecture, whether it's interior design. I've spoken to product designers that might learn how to design, but they know nothing about the prototyping process. Absolutely. They don't know anything about manufacturing or making. Mm-hmm.
2: That's the thing I think I read about... Um, it's insane, isn't it?
1: Yeah. country in the school but it's the same as learning how to be an architect but not actually knowing how to be an architect exactly
2: it's the thing about that johnny johnny i was sort of at apple was talking about some documentary that he was just sort of no it wasn't a documentary i read about it he was just i think he was a guest critic i think it was at the rca his armamenta and he just basically slated and said he was just sort of amazing how the trade has changed um, product design has changed so much from what he not just how he related it, you know, not, not, it could be a gen, we could say it's a generation thing but I can relate to it because so much of the work is God. digital yeah it's concept like there's no under, yeah there's no it's understanding of how these things are made right now, but so so he said that wait minute, when he did it he had to sort of go through that sort of um, go through. Go through shit before you come out clean, um, and uh, you got to know how you nuts and bolts and screws and how things actually fit together. Yeah, absolutely.
5: whether to take I think a battery it out. out. If you
1: don't actually know anything about, the end of that, and how to make money out of it. I
0: mean,
1: I can kind of understand why your dad would be because like, how I think is it's purity.
0: Because I think there's a purity aspect to it. It's like you can't talk about it if you just want to start off with money. Mm-hmm. Um, But then... I think that is quite unique to them. But you're so trapped, right? And I think that's a big part of the PhD. It's like, you're so trapped because your fate is in someone else's hand and you're creating it. And what is really odd is that you've created it and then you sold it, but then you're completely eliminated from the equation after that because it's it's not yours anymore. So the, the... Owner can do whatever they want to it and that's odd as well because it's like but I painted it but now all of a sudden the authorship is no longer Microsoft's
6: probably the same as any mm-hmm. hotels and so basic clothing People like, to me like after I finished the project like oh are you so kind of like now I hated it I just want to get out of there it's like, mm-hmm. you, and for me it's like if I've been there for four years pouring over drawings, pouring over Massive emails, and then finally it gets built. I'm just happy that I'm alive. So I'm like, okay, fine, let's get it photographed, and let's just get it out. And <coughs> move on. You know, and I actually quite like, I know this is mine. I I, I I, think, and I actually say this a lot to my new joints that join my team, I'm like, you have to take that emotional potion out. Not that you can't be emotional about and passionate about what you do, but you don't own this. That idea is you, you sell it, mm-hmm. and then that's someone else's and actually you don't own it and you don't have any rights around it. I mean, to a degree, yes, you have a contract, but that really is then you're, you're selling yeah. that to someone. And unfortunately, I have this told kind do. of changing feel, But
7: they work. still need your point of view. I mean, that's why people pay you, yeah. right? For your skill set and your perspective mm-hmm. and your point of view. Like, if you look at all my projects, they all service different types of clients and they all are different to that, but you could tell, that this, pro- this is probably my JJ, right? Mm-hmm. But all my documents say this is a concept only, because I'm a concept designer, this is a concept only, JJ, this book architecture is not liable for whatever, whatever the client or the contractor ends up doing mm-hmm. because of these documents. Yeah. Whatever is built on site is not my liability. That's in all my books. So it's a fact of life for me, but I could understand how, from a fine arts perspective, it's a little bit more difficult so to just separate, abstract, yeah. to do that separation,
4: mm-hmm.
7: but contractually, it's in all my contracts and it's in all my con- con- concept drawings, so my, my work is the drawing only. Everything on site is up to you.
1: It's what you do, Daniel, as well. It's quite yeah. almost ephemeral, in a way. Those things that you create, I mean, if those images disappear.
5: Mm. I it's think almost... I, I know. So when you mentioned that, you know, when you tell your new drawings, you have to take the emotional portion out. Um, uh, as, as, as Susie can I've worked quite closely with a business partner, Ken, and he used to work for, for an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And I've always been very emotional one. He has been always a very um, emotionally stable one, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then so when there are things like flying like criticism and mm-hmm. things like that, I'm always the one that gets very angry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, you know, the last few years I've always just been, oh, I need to be more like him. I need to be more calm about things. I need to just be rational and, and understand their point of view. Um, and then I got to this place actually last year where I was actually created very depressed, I was very depressed and like I couldn't like I was not functional for like a good few months um, and then I got to this place where all of these emotions started coming out and I just, I'm a writer but I also style so I just had to write everything out, I had to like mood board all of these just very raw emotions out for me um, and I think it's, 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 it's so important for, for the work that I personally do uh, to to do that because then, you know, I think that in the creative process, yes, there is this mechanical uh, element to what we do. We have to follow the creative the deadline. We have to do it on time, on budget. We have to do it with a smile. We have to do it with a smile, even though the client has delayed ten times already. Um, I hope I don't
1: think you, saw
3: me when
5: you say
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> Not you.
4: <laughs>
5: but then also. The work that I try to do needs to have a soul. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I Mm like working in fashion as opposed to uh, architecture Mm -hmm. Um, or or even prof styling. I can't do prof styling because I I can't deal with with policies or or, all of these regulations. That's why I work in fashion because it's fast paced. There isn't all these... Mm -hmm. There there isn't so much red tape in between. Mm -hmm. And so I can just freely push something out do a shoot, once the shoot is over, I'm done. Similar to you, yeah. but on a much shorter time scale, I'm done with this, I don't want to see it again. Yeah. Like, I, might, I might admire it like, after that, looked at all these pretty images, I'm done, or this, you know, for deciding. But it's right like way.
6: on to the next, because you mm. have probably something that's
5: already. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
6: I think like when I say take, I think it's like when you're trying to problem solve something, it's like, I always mm-hmm. tell them like, take be more, don't, because clients will always be critical. Mm-hmm. They think in a different way. Right. You know, we believe that we've done something that's amazing and it's yeah. exactly the brief. And I always get people to sit in, like, I get the whole team to sit in on a meeting with clients because I like them to listen to what they think because it's not always what we think. We might have brainstormed this out and this is, you know, we think that this is going to be amazing. And then they sit down and they're like, no, I don't like it. And then they say one comment. And I said, and it's fine, like, I, I said, take what you feel from that and then try to solve it. But you still have to listen to what they say. but Really, problem solve it in a way that you're still going to hit the grief and maybe sometimes you won't because your physical you're crazy but don't get all worked up to the point that you just can't funk you know what I mean, that like you can't funk in because that's going to happen all the time and I think that's what I mean when you take the emotional but use it in a way that you use the anger or you use the kind of like, i really, you know, I've walked out of the meetings so and I'm just like, fuck! <laughs> and, but, and I'm like, you have to use that to then create something different. And, and give and really deliver you know, to the point that you're happy as well. Um, and I think that's probably the hardest thing I get Part of my job. Like I, I, I feel like I was at the same point where I in school I remember getting to a point where like I was getting B's. They told me I shouldn't be in design school anymore. I'm like what? And this is like my third year. So I went from like an A to a D and I was like what's going on? And one of my professors was like well I just don't think you belong here. And I was like what the hell? <laughs> and, and In the back of my head, of course, there's the pressure of like, I've been here for three years, my parents have put me through it, my parents do not like this, and now I'm. And I remember just being like, not able to move, you know? And I it did the same thing, I just at one point just something clicked, and I just got really mad, and I was like, you know what? Fuck that shit. I don't fucking care what you said. I'm gonna do this. And I sat down, and I remember like, it was an office plan, it's like a corporate project, but most boring of all but I remember sitting there like in one night drawing the complete layout branding it finishing it and I was like I said that two weeks ago (laughs) but you know and then you just you have to use that Mm. and I think a lot of times what happens is maybe we just you know you get one critique where you're like well no you can't think of that way or you shouldn't think of that way and schools do it too they'll be like you shouldn't be like that uh, you should do this because that's the curriculum. We've been in business for how many years? And I went to, uh, you know, I went to a school that was very like we've been churning out the first interior designers in Canada since 1974. Blah blah blah. You know, our love, like, show blah blah, blah blah blah. And there was at one point where we sat down as a class, and we we actually brought our professors in. We brought in the dean of our school, and we said this is bullshit. We pay you guys money and you've been teaching a program that you've been teaching since 1974 and it's never changed. And that's wrong. Because we're now in third year. We haven't started learning CAD. And the thing is, people that we know who are now like Yabu Kusherberg, when they see our portfolios, they know we're Bryerson because it's exactly what they did like 30 years ago. And that's not right. She got to move with the times. So and we sat them down and said, look. We're not going to pay you. We're not gonna, we are not going to. pay you, so you should listen to us. And we're telling you this is not right. And I get it, you're under this whole, like, you know, we had... Legacy. We had professors that, you know, studied under Eurosen, and, you know, they, I mean, they're very under that whole ball house structure. And we said, we get it. We get this is how architecture works. We get this is how design works. But we have to move mm. the time. And we really sat them down. They were quite angry with us, but at the same time, I I was looking at our website like the Ryerson website the other day and I was like, Jesus, I was like, wow, they're doing, the year after us, so already just after we did that, the year after us, they started doing product design, things that we never did. Uh... You know, they started introducing all these new curriculum in that none of us did and we were kind of pissed off. (laughs) We've done all this, but we don't get to... But that's you know, the thing, if, if
1: industry and education are aligned, yeah. then there's no point. Exactly. Unless you're just sitting at home painting pretty pictures of buildings so, that are never going to get built.
6: Yeah. And there's I think no, the whole, like, it's like, it's unheard of, you shouldn't brand yourself, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that, but there's no shouldn't, you know? Mm. And I think that's kind of one of the biggest lessons I think I've learned in school is there isn't a shouldn't. You can mm-hmm. do what you want. and. You can kind of take that step, you know, and,
0: and I think as a group, you can, you can
2: really kind of create something. I mean, on your own, you can, but and it's hard. But yeah. it can be a real lottery, can it? I mean, I think I only think education and the and the arts, broadly speaking, the arts, as the creativity in the arts, is, can be a bit of a lottery. And it's like, and it's like... it's
6: always
1: a risky
2: And And the thing about the whole D student thing, I don't know an age. I don't know one single A student that's, that's actually done well now.
6: But that's little thing, that was, I mean... <laughs> <it's>
4: exactly. <savage.
6: laughs> <laughs> so
0: <laughs> the moralist, do <laughs> I was never an
2: A student. And there's people that I know who have had rough times, but actually, they're the star, you know. I mean, all the was in the same years as I was. Oh, really? It's a total wonder dog. yeah we were in the same year and we, we did like this thing you know he you know we were, he talked he, he probably would be blessed and should we do a co- this competition together I was like, okay and um and he was sort of very softly spoken he wasn't you know very unsure but he had st- sort of things that ideas that i wasn't talking about and then the next thing he was like Wow, he did that, and <laughs> now you know. Now he's doing. You know, now he's now now he's doing very well. You know? So it's just. um, Oh, it's total. I don't know how it's so. Sort of, yeah, it's, it's a difficult thing with. Um,
6: it's hard.
4: It's
2: very individual. School, it's
6: very. I mean, like with your job. Yeah. You know, it's very
2: structured. Yeah. There's
5: rules.
6: There's degrees, There's things, but you can. But that's it, when school and
1: the real world are so different, there are gonna be people that will excel at school but then get to the real world and go and then maybe those of us that were okay students but get to the real world and that's when maybe starts to happen. I hope I'm waiting. I think it becomes
2: (laughs) I think it becomes empowering when you can somehow relate to how school relates to that sort of reality in a way. Yeah, I think that's somehow, for me, I think for me, my first year, I think it was the final project. I didn't know because I think we had to design like a doctor's surgery, like a small doctor's surgery. That was our final project, like first year project. I didn't know anything about doctor's surgery, so I, I went, I walked into the local doctor's surgery and said, can I have an appointment with the doctor?
6: Seriously? I
2: did, yeah. <laughs> no,
6: no, no. We had to
1: do re- yeah, we
2: had to go like, research. And yeah. Like, just research. Just, I just thought, I just felt like, I just, nobody asked me, told me, dude. I just felt like it was right. Right to just maybe...
1: Actually go see...
2: See a doctor. <laughs> and say, so what, what do you need? <laughs> you know? So, I I, 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 this is like, a student project. This is just a fancy student project, by the way. I didn't know, honestly, don't know what I'm doing. So, can you let me know? Mm-hmm. I, you need a waiting room uh, the red light comes on the green light comes on
0: (laughs) very practical stuff and that's it thank you so much for taking the time to go and listen to this very long episode I hope you found it to be helpful or insightful in some way thanks bye